Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You're listening to the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, Episode 5. This episode, I'm talking with producer, filmmaker and founder of Sparkfire Media, Vanessa Soreo. With close to 15 years' experience in both hands-on media production and client-side communication strategy, Vanessa approaches each project with skill, passion, and integrity. She began her career producing on-air and online content for the Discovery Channel family of networks, and later chose to apply the same high-end production principles and marketing strategies to help nonprofits and businesses achieve their goals. She has quadrupled clients' visibility on social media sites like YouTube and Facebook, and used media to help them raise millions of dollars. In 2009, Vanessa's series Deadliest Catch, The Real Dutch, won a People's Voice Webby and was nominated for an Emmy. Vanessa is also creator of the online video series and social network NatureBreak.org. NatureBreak's videos, which feature her family's adventures in the outdoors, have reached over 5 million viewers and have won two esteemed merit awards from the International Wildlife Film Festival. Vanessa has a Master of Fine Arts degree in Science and Natural History Filmmaking and a Bachelor of Science degree in Entomology. She lectures at universities and film festivals around the country on the topic of effective multimedia communication. Throughout her career, Vanessa has worked on projects for a variety of companies, including the Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, the Science Channel, National Geographic, the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation, and the Jane Goodall Institute. As well as being the founder of her company, Sparkfire Media, Vanessa is currently the Director of Science and Exploration Media at National Geographic. Vanessa, thanks so much for taking the time out this uh, this afternoon for this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast. Really, really appreciate it. Um, just for the listeners, can you give me a little bit of the background about how you started uh, in down the road of your, your filmmaking career and your producer career? Sure. I'm happy to be here, Jake. And um, I always like to say, like, uh, I just feel that my whole, it's interesting when you look back to see how your whole life has led you uh, down this path to this career. And um, I grew up with a dad who was an interpretive naturalist. So um, he basically used storytelling, as I see it now, to get people to care about the natural world. He would give slide programs and he was a writer and he would take people on nature walks. So I always um, knew I wanted to do something like that. And I started out by studying science and wildlife biology, but realized I was more interested in the communication side. And I ended up going to graduate school for science and natural history film at Montana State University and then just began working in the field from there. 
Fantastic. And um, Montana State University is one of the the kind of um, primary places to go for this kind of this kind of career. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how that played into you getting the the positions that you have today? Sure. Well, I didn't have any film background. I, as I said, I came from uh, as a scientist, and that was the one program I found that uh, that was. I was exactly perfect for that. That's exactly what they wanted to do was to teach people who had a really strong background in science how to make films. And so, yeah, I don't think I would have ever become a filmmaker if not for that program. And now now there's a great network of people who have come out of there, and we have a pretty strong community and um, end up working with and for each other quite a bit. Now, what I, I know you have, uh, you're a filmmaker in your own right with uh, your naturebreak.org uh, uh, website, and uh, you're a producer. You've worked for networks like Discovery, National Geographic, uh, the National Fish and Wildlife mm -hmm. Foundation. Um, how have those kind of roles all played in, in terms of uh, being you know, both a, a kind of filmmaker taking the role of director, producer, camera person, and also working as a producer. Um, how does it all play together? There's not many industries where you would take all of the roles um, from, a, from one industry and kind of put them together and be everything. But this is quite common in this industry. Um, how has that worked for you over the years? Right. Well, I, I think it's extremely important to to have worked in every aspect of the craft of making a film. Um, and so, right from the beginning, I knew I really wanted to to focus on on gaining the hands-on production skills. So I wanted to sh learn how to shoot myself, and I wanted to learn how to edit myself. Um, at the same time, I think you're automatically, you know. Every individual is different, and so you realize what your strengths and weaknesses are. And as I got further down my career, I, I just started to specialize more um, and went, moved more into the director-producer role, which was, is just what me, what I personally am stronger at. But I think that having that foundation, knowing how, how to press buttons on a computer to um, edit a, a video and how to, how to frame a shot and how to light, I mean – it only makes you stronger at what you ultimately specialize in to know all all of the other crafts. Excellent, and and obviously you have uh, you're the founder of NatureBreak.org. Um, what motivated you to start NatureBreak? I really well, I really wanted to find a way to um, not have to rely on the big big business industry to make my films. So I, I wanted to find a way to be an independent filmmaker and get, get people, send my films basically directly to people who wanted to see them and find my own audience instead of having to rely on a, a network executive to green light something, which they, they would never green light a show like that. It was, it was meant to be very user generated and, um, and basic and, and for, for a more intimate kind of audience. So that, that was why I did it, and I'm, I'm glad I did. I learned a lot about um, building community through video that I think you do not learn when you're working at a television network. 
And, and yeah, it's a very good point. I think it's a good segue into also how the industry has changed um, over the years. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that? Since you first kind of got um, into working with network television, how has the industry changed? I mean, it's it's very different now with all of these online platforms. You know, right. has that really changed the way you work on a day-to-day -day basis at National Geographic? And we should say that um, you're currently, uh, well, you you tell me, what's your, your role currently? So I am currently the uh, director of science and exploration media at National Geographic. And basically what that means is we're, we're one team within the larger digital video team, but our work is, prim is solely for the National Geographic Society, so the nonprofit arm of National Geographic. So we... Our mission is to find is to find a way to get the society's work and their um, grantees out to the public, and um, so we're very heavily reliant on the digital platforms because um, once again, it's it's a lot easier to find the right audience. I think on those platforms rather than on a larger television network, you're having to apply to the mass audience rather than a specific segment of the population who's really interested in science and um, exploration. And yes, yeah, so working in digital, you're all, it seems like every week a new platform comes out and you're having to learn all about how to tell stories differently on those platforms. Um, so for a long time, it was there was a very standard way to make a wildlife film, the, the big blue chip documentary style wildlife films. Uh, that was the standard for a long, long time. And that's part of why what drew me to the industry. But pretty much as soon as I began working, those started to diminish. <laughs> and uh, net networks were, a lot, were going a lot towards reality TV. And I'm, I wasn't so interested in that. So that's when I turned to digital. And um, I love it because you can talk to, directly to your audience. And I also love it because there, you can be very experimental in how you tell stories. There's not one standard way to make a video. And your video on YouTube is very different than the video you would make for Facebook. Or now there's uh, Snapchat, which is vertical video. So that's completely different. Um, we're now talking about making video specifically for Instagram and Pinterest and Twitter. So there's always something new and um, it's a fun challenge to figure out how to tell video stories on all these new platforms. VR is another one, VR and interactive storytelling. That's really exciting to me. It's mind-boggling, isn't it, how, how yeah. try, trying to keep up with the technology. Um, it, it can be overwhelming at times. I know a lot of the questions I get from listeners are very much um, aimed towards technology, whether it be on the camera side, the production side, or the distribution side. Um, and it is, you know, it can be overwhelming when you think you've got it all figured out, 
and then within a very, very short space of time, everything changes and, and you <laughs> right. feel like now you have to relearn it all. And in most of the cases, you don't. I mean, that's what I tell people. Only go down the direction that you feel is is right for you. I, you know, trying mm -hmm. to cover all bases in my mind is, is um, you know, very difficult and can be overwhelming and, and you'll be finished before you start. But um, another mm -hmm. of the big questions I really get, um, people obviously know that in the past I have... Um, presented for National Geographic and made wildlife shows. And so I get a lot of um, questions regarding, you know, how do people get their show onto network television or even onto, um, you know, like National Geographic's digital video side. Mm -hmm. Is there any advice that you can give? And I know, again, this is kind of changing all the time. And I know that um, a lot of time there's a big difference between going out and making your own show and then kind of offering it up um, or actually pitching a show to, uh, say, National Geographic or Discovery. Um, what advice would you give to people who are looking to go down that road? I think my my best piece of advice would be to attend festivals and conferences where you can meet people face to face um, because once you have that personal connection, that's when your email gets answered and that's when people take the time to read your pitch or watch your trailer because everyone, everyone's so busy and you're, you're getting bombarded from all sides with um, for your time. And so if I recognize that I met somebody at a film festival and they're they're in my inbox, well then I'll, that would be the top of my list of pitches to pay attention to. So I think I think those types of events are extremely valuable. Or if you don't go to a, if there's not a festival in your area, um, it, it's worth a trip to Washington D.C. where or New York or L.A. where some networks are based. Find out where the people are and try as hard as you can to meet them in person. Yeah, I think that's that's fantastic advice because, uh, as we all know, networking, one of the best things you can do, get to know mm -hmm. people. And, and, and moving on to the next question was actually, and you kind of, um, I think, have answered this, but um, I was going to ask what role you feel the film festivals play um, in the overall kind of big picture of wildlife filmmaking. And I think that's, first of all, one of the big roles they play is meeting people, networking, making Definitely. those contacts. That's how we met, of course, back that's in right. 2010, mm -hmm. I think it was. Um, we yep. met at the International Wildlife Film Festival in Missoula, Montana. And, um, mm -hmm. and the, you know, that's fantastic. You, you meet people, you keep those relationships going, and it's really, really important. Um, what other roles do you think? And you uh, never know where they'll end up, right? So when you and I met, we were both doing independent projects, and then now we've both gone on to do different projects. And so it's just interesting. You kind of, the people you meet at those festivals, it ends up being such a great experience that you remain friends with them for a long time and even I, I would also recommend um, some of those attending some of the smaller festivals like IWFF or I just last weekend went to American Conservation Film Festival where um, I helped to run a weekend long workshop on conservation filmmaking and that's a smaller festival so it's a, um, it's a lot easier to make meaningful relationships with people at a smaller festival than at some of the big festivals where top net network execs are there and they're pitching to each other and it's hard to get anybody's um, time. 
Yeah, tell us a little bit more about your um, being on the board of the uh, the film festival, Conservation Filmmakers Festival, and and the workshop that you're looking to run. I know it's you know very very important that um, in my mind that documentaries these days have have a message and in some way try and impact the world. I think it's important because we have. Uh, you know, a plethora of bad TV out there these days <laughs> that is purely there for entertainment and nothing else. Um, right. to, what's kind of your view on that and, and the, the role of kind of impact filmmaking? It's a good question because films, on the one hand, take a lot of time and resources and money to make. But I think we have this um, inherent belief that that's all worth it because in the end they'll change minds and they're, they're, um, they'll make a difference for whatever, for the issues you care about. I guess I'm, I'm uh, something I'm really trying to work on and um, a, a new and interesting area of the industry that I'm excited about is impact filmmaking and trying to actually measure. Is this feeling we all have true? Because um, a lot of times a conservation film, the only people who see it are, are, the people who already know feel strongly about that issue. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not enough to make the film, actually. I think you have to have an impact plan that goes along with the film if you really are making a film to make a difference. And that's you don't have to be. That doesn't have to be your goal. If you, maybe you're making a film for, the, for art, for art's sake. And um, I think you should understand that ahead of time and know that about you and your film. But if you really do want to make a, a difference, you can't. You have, from the very start, you have to be thinking about how you will use that film. What's your goal? What's, who is your audience? And is the film you're making appropriate for that audience and your goal? So, um, we had a really interesting presenter, Liz Smith from the Conservation Media Group, based up in Camden, Maine, and she spoke about. She gave a fantastic present, presentation about just that, about impact filmmaking and how to make sure you're actually achieving what you set out to, to achieve when you make a film. And, and for, for people who are unaware of the kind of um, the process there or the, the tools that you would require to do that, um, how, how are they measuring the impact after they've actually made the film? Well, it's still a developing field and people are trying to figure out how do we measure it. So... There's not really a good answer for that yet. Um, there's all kinds of new organizations who are who are working on that. So they're measuring, and they, maybe they'll do a survey. They'll survey an audience before and after and see if they're how likely they are to change their behavior. Sometimes they're 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 monitoring social media, and so they're seeing what the conversation is. Um, Regarding a film, if it's you know if they're bringing in new new audience through social media, um, so that's another way that they're doing it. But it's really it's a it's a science, right? So there has, there's a, a whole separate type of person and segment of the interest, industry who is trying to figure that out. And I would su suggest if you're a, a filmmaker and you want your film to make an impact, to try and team up with one of the organizations who can help you do that. Yeah, because obviously once you've made the film, I mean, it's just the kind of tip of the iceberg, e even if you're mm -hmm. just making a film for, for the film's sake, um, you know, distribution, I mean, I don't think 
any filmmaker when they're starting out really has a clue. I mean, it's a bit like writing a book, right? You know, you write the book, you make the film, you think you've done it, and then the 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 other ninety five percent of the work begins, which is right. the marketing <laughs> and the distribution and and realizing mm -hmm. that really you need to go to all of those festivals it plays at, and you need to be there mm -hmm. to answer questions, and and then you really need to be very very proactive. Uh, getting your film out there in other ways it's not enough just to have it online or uh, right. I, I know there's a, um, a huge demographic that think they make the film they put it on Vimeo VOD video on demand and they're just going to start making money and of course it just doesn't work like that um, and with the impact stuff then on, on top of that it's tenfold because of right. course you need your backup websites your surveys um, I know with Roshan Patel, who we had on the show a little while back, um, he was taking his film around to various different groups, uh, the Red Wolf Revival, and showing it to mm -hmm. different groups to get feedback, uh, mm -hmm. whether it be pro-wolf groups or anti-wolf groups. You know, it's it, really important you can get direct feedback at that point. However, you know, you've got to fly around the country doing that and being right. there and showing the film. And, of course, that all comes at a pretty penny. Um, right. And one thing, so what Liz recommended that was just brilliant and so simple, she was saying, you you make a film and you maybe spend a year or two years making a film about that issue. Well, there are people who have been working on that issue for their entire lifetime. So... Right. You should be partnering with them. Don't you shouldn't set out to make a film on um you know climate change and expect that by yourself with your film you're going to change anything. But if you partner with 350.org or Sierra Club or one of these organizations who already is working on that issue then they'll be able to use your film for the for the movement they are already working on. Great idea. Yeah. Finding allies, people already who have been there, done that and know, know mm -hmm. the, the landscape. Yeah. That's probably the best advice with that kind of filmmaking. Um, moving away from that, you know, just a couple of days ago in the news, there was um, the big unveiling of National Geographic's new tagline. And so the rebranding. Um, oh, further. I, Further, yeah. <laughs> can you tell anyone who's unfamiliar with the new branding, can you give us a bit of insight on that? It basically, you know, it's, it's about pushing the limits, right? It's about pushing the limits of science and discovery and um, hum humanity and, and what we can do and achieve and including conservation, how to think beyond the limits and uh, achieve what you didn't think you could achieve before. What do you see the future of wildlife filmmaking? I mean, things are changing so rapidly. You mentioned VR. Obviously, mm -hmm. that's becoming huge now. And um, it's uh, all of the big technology um, manufacturers are get, jumping on the VR wagon. How? What do you see the future of wildlife filmmaking? Are we still going to be looking at kind of those blue chip Planet Earth style series? And obviously, Planet Earth 2 is uh, coming out very soon. Um, will we ever move away from that, or will that always be the core of wildlife filmmaking? Well, I, I think it will always be part of wildlife filmmaking, but I don't I don't see it remaining really the core, right? I, I feel like there's so many other ways to make films about wildlife. There's um, 
VR and there's everything from VR to Snapchat um, to Facebook to user-generated video. I, I personally would like to see it getting away from one way to make a wildlife film, and that's a blue-chip, very expensive documentary. Because I think, honestly, I think there's something lost. I think you lose the intimacy of how you, of the real of the real experience mm-hmm. um, that you can have with wildlife with one of those blue chip films. Every to me, when I watch one of those, it's beautiful, but it feels slightly unreal and larger than life and uh, removed from humanity. So, I think some of these other experiences, like VR or user generated video, can balance that out and I would I, I would like to see more wildlife film going in that direction excellent yeah and it, it's you know when we think of um, kind of moving into wildlife filmmaking you know when I started out it was very much because of those shows and I think for many people that's the case um, but it is uh, a kind of Catch-22, because, yeah, those shows have put a lot of manpower and money into making them, and they are detached. You know, mm-hmm. they, they'll spend months in the field to get one beautiful cinematic shot, and that's just not realistic for most production companies. Um, no, or for wildlife. Then you edit them together, and it's a big mash of excitement. I guess, so for me, I come... I, honestly, I don't um, know how many wildlife films I ever saw before I started making wildlife films, and maybe that's kind of uh, an advantage because my connection with nature comes from real-world experience, and I, I think that's what I've been trying to translate into video. So I, that's how I'm coming from it, and that's, that's why I did Nature Break, to kind of um, do something that was simpler and I thought more more t- truthful into how humans and nature experience each other so and i think that's i think that's fantastic i mean nature break was really really beautifully done for um a community based uh where Mm -hmm. you had lots of people participating and sending their videos in um you know it's, it's a great way to spread and distribute your work and encourage other people i know with much of my work that's what I'm trying to do is inspire mm-hmm. others to do what I do because I get so many people asking how to do it. So, well, why don't we just gather this information and share it, which is what this podcast is all about, trying to enlighten new filmmakers that there isn't just one track. And it does mm-hmm. seem that you know 90% of the questions are always heading down that road of, you know, how do I get on network TV? How do I get National Geographic or Discovery to take notice of me? And, and of course, I think in some ways that there's just so much more that you can do and not get you know the kind of disillusioned by the fact you get turned down because you can go and do your own thing um Mm -hmm. and really back on following that that um in terms of producing um you know, we a lot of the time we're talking to filmmakers directly in terms of people who are taking on every role. But I know you're very much in the producing role. Um, and, and you touched a little bit on this earlier. But um, in terms of giving advice to people specifically in terms of producing, what is the best thing they can do to go out to learn to produce wildlife docu- documentaries right from the onset? What What should they do to start off? As a producer, the most valuable 
asset you have are is your team. So I'll, I would, um, if you were for someone who's looking to be specifically a producer, I would start um, collaborating as soon as you can with the most talented um, craft people that you can. Uh, you know, find ways to work with cinematographers that you that you respect and and that you enjoy working with. Find ways to work with very talented editors. And then um, that's the best way to see your vision become uh, made real is to be working with people who are better than you are at all the, all of the other details. <laughs> I think that's an important quality too is to realize when people are when you might it might be better to rely on someone who's more talented than you. Excellent, excellent advice. And um, <laughs> I think if only we could, you know, if we. If we could all um, just find those people and collaborate with them all the time, it, it, it's so easy when you do that, when you get a good team. And of course, you know, a lot of the time as filmmakers, we work with different people on different projects. And some projects are just are so run so smoothly. And it's to, most of the time to do with the people involved. It's just people work well together. They know what they're doing. They're professionals in their field. And other times you can work on projects that don't go so well. We've right. probably all been there. And it's just down to um, conflicts in personalities. So really mm -hmm. important. And I think it's nice you find a good team to, to try and stick with them as much as possible possible yeah and the the other interesting thing is depending on the project the team might the best team might be different so um that's part of the fun of for me of producing also is thinking about each project you know what are who are the best how what's the best balance of talent to make each project happen so in some projects maybe a maybe the the cinematographer is the is the most important part of the project, and then you so you find that person, and you build around that. And others, it might be a writer, and you would, or maybe you find someone who can write and edit, and so then you figure out where where the holes are and fill those with with other people. So I I, I like doing that, and um, you meet a lot of really amazing people that way too. And that's one one of my favorite parts about producing is getting to work with talented people and kind of creating the space for all of them to do their best agreed yeah and and you know much of the time we think of ourselves as or, or people think of us as being these solitary individuals out in the field on our own <laughs> right. not realizing that a lot of the time there's a lot of people involved with these projects and mm -hmm. very quickly i know we've got a bit of a time crunch here um because uh we're coming up to the half hour mark um very very quickly a couple of last questions um is there anything that you're working on at the moment you can tell us about? So I've recently moved away from doing hands-on production to um, now, I'm a, now I'm the director of a team. And I was nervous about the transition and didn't know how I would take to it, but I'm finding I, I really enjoy it. And so because now I'm really involved in, in strategy. So my... The, fa my fav the favorite thing I'm looking working on right now is figuring out the digital video strategy for the National Geographic Society. So looking at all these different platforms and realizing what they can do, what, what audience they can reach, kind of the limits of how they can uh, impact people, and then brainstorming and figuring out what creative video projects to make for each of those platforms. And... Um, that's been really, 
really interesting and fun. Is there um, a lot of new uh, productions for that uh, for those platforms, or are you looking at using um, kind of pre or already you know, archived footage and archived projects to try and get them onto new platforms? Um, a little bit of both. We have uh, um, we do ha have an outstanding archive, so we can make the best of that. But a lot of what we want to do is is to highlight new work that explorers and scientists are doing. So for those types of projects, we would we would feel, go out and film with them and create media for, from scratch. But the idea is that when we go out on, on one shoot, we're thinking about all these different platforms and the stories we can tell on each one so that we come back instead of with one story for, for television, we're coming back with you know five stories for all these different digital platforms. Fantastic. Well, I, I'm going to be, I'm obviously very eager to, to see what happens in the future and see the stories coming out. And this, this honestly is the last question. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no problem. It's been, it's been fun talking. You know, I have a lot of people who, when I give advice, they come to me for advice about wildlife filmmaking, how to get their foot in the door. And a lot of the time, my advice, uh, you know, I get, I, give them my advice and they turn around and say, well, you know, I, I've got kids and I just don't have that much free time. And how am I going to do that if no one's paying me? And, uh, you know, there, there seems to be many obstacles due to, um, you know, personal life, things like having children. Right. Now, I know you have a young family and yet you've yeah. managed to do an awful lot of things. And even through time that you took to have a family, you were still doing nature break. Can you just t tell me a little bit about how you managed to do that? You know, what, what motivated you to keep going and do those things, even though, yes, you were having a family and, you know, there were plenty of obstacles, I'm sure. You know, how did you uh, keep the motivation up? Well, good, yeah, great question. <laughs> in hindsight, <laughs> I can give advice. So in the moment, it felt like a struggle and was hard and I felt like I was losing, losing things I had worked really hard for. Um, but I think in hindsight, at at each stage of your life, you, you do what you can. So when I was starting out, you know, I interned and did really boring things like make legal binders and production binders and photocopies. And um, but that was a good first step because that got my foot in the door at Discovery. Then I I did, you know, I worked for a while and then when I had had kids, I realized, oh, you know what, I can't keep up this pace of working for a big a big network. I can't be in the field anymore. But what I can do, it's not going to make me a lot of money, but what I can do is make my own videos about me and my family out in nature, and I can put them online. So that for that time being, that's what I did. Then my kids got a little older, and I thought, okay, I'm ready for a real job again. And so I went back went back to work um I, yeah i don't know i think i think maybe some advice is that you can't get have it all at one time and uh look at each thing you do as a step and not that it has to be the ideal the ideal and even now so i always thought i would want to be in the field all the time and the whole reason i got into this career was because i liked being out in nature and then and yet for the past year i've been working in an office so it's not the it's not quite the ideal, but I think I'm just looking at all of the amazing things about working in this office and all that I'm learning and, and gaining from this experience that 
in the future, maybe I will have a more of a field-based job and um, it w- this will all have led to it. Yeah, that that's great advice. Take it one step at a time because mm-hmm. I, I, I totally agree. I don't think I've met anyone in the industry who had it all straight away. It, it just doesn't come like that. You've got to work hard and a lot of the time with any anything in life, you know, you, you may feel like you're kind of moving off trajectory for a time, but it's, um, you know, it might just be for a reason for a short space of time. And then when you get back on, on the right trajectory, it all works out. So, yeah. Um, and you're always, you're always sacrificing something. So maybe you're sacrificing money. Maybe you're sacrificing time with your family. Maybe you're sacrificing being out in the field. You know, it's always, there's always something that's not working. But just try not to focus on that and focus on the, you know, what you're gaining from each experience. Great advice. Vanessa, thank you so much for taking the time out today. I know you're super busy and um, I really, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Jake. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please leave a rating and a comment. And remember to subscribe to keep up to date with the series. You can find out more information on wildlife filmmaking at masterwildlifefilmmaking.com where you'll find valuable free resources like downloadable reports and video tutorials. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.